We know what neglect will do. One New Year's Day, in a tournament of roses parade, there was a beautiful float that suddenly sputtered and stopped. The whole parade was held up because it had run out of gas. So until someone went and got a gas can, they couldn't start the parade. The amusing thing was that the float was represented by the then Standard Oil Company. With its vast oil reserves and resources, its truck ran out of gas. It seems that gas hadn't been the priority. The float seemed most important. You know, we can, uh, we, we can see what neglecting our priorities does. If you look outside the kitchen door right now, you'll see a big pile of ice. It's about this deep, and it's like solid ice. And the reason it's there is because, you know, when it was snowing all those days and sliding off the roof and, you know, uh, getting snow removed, uh, finally uh, just kind of decided that it was hopeless and gave up on moving it. It sat there until it all became one huge pile of ice. So now it's almost impossible to get even out of the doors. So we know what neglect can do. Two years ago, in our uh, community garden plot, there was this uh, weed that was viney, and it just like grew like crazy. And it needed to be hoed out like every week or twice a week. Well, you know, after doing that for a few weeks, I decided that, hey, the priority is the vegetables, right? So I let the weeds grow. Well, you can imagine what happened. The weeds took over. You know, six weeks ago was uh, New Year's Day and the time for most New Year's resolutions. Well, we know what neglect can do. After uh, uh, not watching all the calories go in and uh, walking past the exercise machine downstairs, I find out that, you know, what's taken over is the waistline. So a few calories extra a day don't seem that important at the time. How many of you students have homework due on Monday? Come on, be honest. How many have homework due? How many of you plan on watching the Super Bowl this evening? All right, well, you know what's going to take over? Procrastination. Finally, you probably were rushed to get here today, possibly. Uh, in all that uh, getting ready, you forgot to brush your teeth. And what's the outcome? Well, somebody leans over and asks you, would you like a breath mint? <laughs> My advice? Just take it. You probably need it. We know what neglect will do, even when it doesn't seem all that important at the time. You know, neglect to fill the gas tank, what happens? Run out of gas. Neglect to shovel the stove, what happens? The ice takes over. Neglect to hoe the garden, what happens? Weeds. Neglect the calories uh, and exercise, waistline takes over. Neglect the homework, procrastination takes over. Neglect to brush your teeth, free breath mints. You know what neglect will do. So here's the big question. What happens when you neglect to make God's priorities your priorities? What does God do? Well, God redirects your focus. God redirects our focus. If you ever feel like you're struggling along, things don't seem to be working out the way that you had planned, it's probably, actually, it's, it's worth considering today is God trying to get your attention? If things just aren't working out, is God trying to get your attention? Does God want to redirect your focus? Think of it as a free breath mint. So let's take a look at the story today as God is sending the Jews home to rebuild the temple. 
as great as it is to go home, they still get stuck. So it's been 70 years since the, since the, the Israelites had gone into exile in Babylon. Things uh, change. Has anyone ever feel, has anyone, does anyone feel like uh, change is going on in your lives? I'm going to stop right here and pray for a moment because I think it's a great message. And I want us to get it and I want to be able to deliver it appropriately. So let me pray. Lord, thank you for your, uh, the gift that you give us, your word. Thank you, Lord, for all that are gathered here today. Thank you, Lord, that in the midst of all that is going on, you are continually calling us to you. So help us be attentive. Uh, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, what comes out, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, does anyone feel like uh, there's been change going on in your life? Maybe in the last few years, any change going on? You know, we're not always uh, accustomed to change. We don't always think that change is good. Yet we need to remember that God works in the midst of change. I think God works especially in the midst of change. That means that God is at work right now. In your life, my life, in the life of the church, in our community, our culture, God is at work right now. As we go to Ezra 1-3 in the Bible, we find that God is at work to accomplish his upper story purpose as he raises up a new king in Babylon or Persia. The king's name is Cyrus. And just as God promised, the time has come for the Jews to return back home. They get to go back. So in Ezra 1-3 we read, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout the realm and to put it in writing, this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem, in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may his God be with him, and let him go to Jerusalem, in Judah, and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. So finally, God is doing a new thing. He's moving on the heart of this foreign king, imagine that, to accomplish God's purpose. And that purpose is to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. I think at this point it's important to recognize as we're reading through the story that 70 years ago God had stirred the heart of the king of Babylon to destroy the temple in Jerusalem. So we might ask, what's going on? Destroy it? Rebuild it? What, why is God going through all that? And I think the point is that God will go to any length to get his people back. God will go to any length to get you back including, in this instance, destroying the place where his presence dwelled amongst his people. You know, the story then took a terrible turn uh, a few chapters back as God's people turned away from God. Even after all that God had promised, they began to misrepresent who God was and what it meant to live as God's people in the world around them. So God did what God said God would do. He removed them from the promised land according to the covenant that he had with them. So the promise was this, if they obey and worship God and follow him, then they will live in the land that God had promised, the land of Israel. They will enjoy God's favor, his blessing, his abundance. Life will be great. It'll be good. It's God, what God intends. The inheritance promised long ago to Abraham will be theirs. They agreed to it and they lived for God. 
But over the generations, they forgot God. They, they lost track of who they were, and they began to stray. And they stopped treating each other according to God's commands. They stopped worshiping God. They trampled the rights of the widows and the orphans. They rejected the foreigners in their midst, and they treated one another dishonestly and corruptly until God acted. So the Babylonians, they came. They destroyed the temple and took exiles into captivity. But the story is not over. And that's important. The story is not over. A temple destroyed, a people in exile, and God is still keeping his promise to Abraham. A Messiah is coming, will come through Abraham's line in the lineage of David, the line of Judah. And now it's 70 years later, so we move forward. God is bringing the Jews back home. And this is all the work of God. It's a big wave of revival. So Rick Nathan, he tells a story of Daryl Bratsko. He says, what would it feel like to catch a 40-foot wave and surf it all the way into the shore? During a surfing competition 22 miles from San Francisco, a Sports Illustrated story, he describes the incredible rides of the surfer named Daryl the Flea Verotsko. So imagine riding these waves. For the first wave, there was a 40-footer. He made a beautiful drop, essentially skiing down the face of the wave, and the breaking wave exploded in a huge whitewash, which then Verotsko simply raced ahead into safety. And on his second ride, he did uh, something few surfers can do. Rather than ski down the surface, he pointed his tip of his board up and did a free fall and then catching um, this barrel and he rode inside of it until he could uh, ride it all to the end. In the third wave, he took off on another 40-foot high wave, made a graceful drop and rode it down, he says, serenely. In other words, he made it look like he was relaxed as he just let this big wave take him and the, the, uh, a wave that could be big enough to crush him and kill him. So imagine sitting on a little board and having a 40-foot wall of water roaring at you, and then you decide to stand up on it. And I, I don't think that anyone who surfs in a place like this thinks it's boring. And maybe would say, tonight I'm going to go and watch some YouTube videos. You know, a revival is a lot like catching a wave. At different times in history, God has built a wave for the church to ride. We can't manufacture it on our own efforts. But we can experience the thrill of getting on our boards and riding it out. That's why surfers use the phrase that also applies to the church. If it swells, ride it. If it swells, ride it. So you and I can't make waves of revival. Right? We can pray for it, but we can't direct the work of the Holy Spirit. And at times, we just have to wait on God. We have to be patient. We have to paddle out and get there. But when the waves come, we can catch them, and we can ride them all the way to shore. But only if we show up. Only if we're out on the water waiting to catch them. In God's story, it's written that God is sending a huge wave of revival upon the heart of the King Cyrus. And the Jews are catching it, and they're returning to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple in an outline Max Lucado prepared for this chapter of the story, he asked this question, why does God make a, such a big deal out of the temple? Why is the temple so important? Well, 
He says it's because the temple is a picture of God's passion to dwell amongst his people. It is in the temple that God said he will dwell and his people will be able, he'll be in the midst of his people. And, and it's because sin still separates his people from God. And the solution to sin is a blood sacrifice on the altar so that people can regain access to God's presence. So in the upper story, we can't forget what God is doing. He is working to get his people back. And the scripture makes it clear that the sacrifice is offered at the temple. It's a picture of what God is doing for his people and that he will one day offer an ultimate sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. It is the Lamb of God, Jesus, his son. So the temple is extremely important because it points to everything that God is doing. You know, John the Baptist, he describes Jesus saying, look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. So the temple points us ahead to the blood sacrifice for our sins. And in the lower story, here on earth, God is sending a wave that the prophet Joshua and the governor and all our, uh, those who are returning are catching and they're beginning to build the altar of the Lord. So now my question would be, would anyone feel just a, maybe a little scared to catch a wave like this? You know, sharks below, crashing waves above. You know, it'd be scary for sure, I think, for most of us. I mean, anybody not scared? I'd love to see this. All right. So it'd be scary, I think, exhilarating, fun for sure, probably a lot scary. You know, I think following Jesus has its perceived risks. Moses had to lead the Israelites through a divided wall of water in the Red Sea. Seems a little risky, even though, you know, God is with them, walking through these walls of water that, who knows, could come crashing in at any time. Jesus invited Peter to step out of the boat and to walk on water. He wasn't so sure. You know, it worked fine until he got a little nervous and started to sink. The disciples survived a life-threatening storm on the Sea of Galilee, even though they lacked faith. They weren't even sure. All these situations require courage. They require courage that God is at work in our lives. And I think that's the point for us today, one of the points, that God is at work in our lives. But it's going to require courage for us to step out and ride the wave. If you want to experience God at work, if you want to ride a wave of revival, then I say, get prepared to be challenged. Here's how the returning exiles respond to God's rebuilding challenge. It says, despite their fear, somebody say that with me, despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Despite their fear, fear is there, but despite it, they go to work, they catch the wave, they begin well, and they courageously face the opposition. They get the altar ready to offer the sacrifices again. And then there's this strange response. I find this response really very fascinating. There's this huge celebration, right? They're celebrating that the altar has been, been erected. The sacrifices are beginning once again after 70 years. They're living into who they are as God's people. And there's cheering and celebrating. Some are so excited with what God's doing. And those that were there for the very first time, those that had never experienced this before, they're just overwhelmed with joy. Maybe you've experienced something like they did. You know, you see God working in your life in a brand new way. And it's like, wow, 
God showed up today. Or you discover relationships with other followers of Jesus that you've never experienced before, and it's like, wow, this is so good. Or you're experiencing something that you've never experienced, it's new, it's exciting, you want more. I think that's actually part of the Christian life. God shows up, and we're amazed, we're wow, we're just incredibly full of joy. That's part of the life. But there also is another part. The verse says, some people were weeping. In Ezra we read, but many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundations of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. It wasn't what it used to be. For some of us here today, that may be exactly how you feel. It wasn't, it isn't what it used to be. It's not the same. You know, you miss the former things. I think it's okay to admit that. I think at some point in your life, if you're young or old, at some point you're going to miss the way things were. You're going to miss some of the former things. A lot of what happens in this life as a Jesus follower can remind us of the way things were. And oftentimes in our minds, those things seemed better. They just seemed better. They were better days. They were better times. They were just better. What do you do with that? I say guard your heart. Guard your heart. Don't let the little things you miss pull you backward into complacency and neglect. It may feel like the things that you do don't really have any lasting impact anymore. Maybe you're wondering, is it all worth it? I've been laboring so long, what do I have to show for it? Maybe things just seem to work better in older days and now everything is difficult and strange. Maybe you thought you'd always feel full of energy and vitality and enthusiasm and now it's just hard to find the desire to get involved. Guard your heart. Don't let the little things you miss pull you backward into complacency and neglect. You know, the older generation, they looked at this new temple and could see only the former glory. They could see what wasn't anymore. But God is doing a new work, even then, even now. And the prophet Haggai wanted them to understand the best is yet to come. The best is still ahead. The prophet Zechariah encouraged the people, saying, nations will come to Jerusalem and seek the Lord. It's coming. He shares this stunning insight. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, 10 people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. You know, when a wave of revival comes, I think this passage suggests to me at least that people will turn to a Jesus follower and they'll ask you to take them to the Lord. They'll say, lead me to Jesus. You know him. I want to know him. Take me to Jesus. Our hope and promise isn't going back to some past memory. It's ahead. It's always ahead. It's fulfilled in Christ's return. It's then that God's work will be seen in all of its glory, in all of its beauty, in all of its purpose. And friends, he's coming, right? He's coming. He's returning. And that will be a glorious day. 
and you will see. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Everything flows from it. The Jews who returned home, they didn't guard their hearts. They faced some stiff opposition in rebuilding, and they got discouraged. They slipped backward into neglect. And we all can see what neglect will do. You know, it's easy to get discouraged when things that we've been working on so long don't seem to work out. Years of effort seem to give way to new trends, and we wonder, is it worth it? The returning exiles began to think to themselves, maybe now is not the time to rebuild. International speaker Michael Ramsden, he tells a story about three turtles. Three turtles who went off to a picnic. One turtle packed sandwiches, another packed the drinks, and the third turtle, he just decided to come along for the company. So as the turtles headed off to the woods, about halfway to their destination, it started to rain, so they took shelter under this large rock, and then they began to talk amongst themselves. Little turtle talk. The first two turtles, they turned to the third and said, look, we made the sandwiches, we made the drinks, you brought nothing, so you should be the one to go home and get umbrellas. Go get some umbrellas, come back here, we'll go out in the woods and we'll have our picnic. The third turtle said, you must be joking. As soon as I'm around the corner, you're going to eat the food, you're going to drink the drinks, and when I come back with the umbrellas, there'll be nothing left. And the first two turtles said, we won't do so, we'll do no such thing. And the third turtle said, you absolutely will. There's no way I'm doing that. Eventually, the two turtles swear by their shells that they will not eat the sandwiches or drink the drinks until the third turtle comes back with the umbrellas. So the third turtle leaves, and minutes go by, and minutes turn to hours, and hours turn to days. And on the tenth day, the first turtle says to the second turtle, okay, how about it? Why don't we just eat the sandwiches and drink the drink? And as soon as the first turtle says this, a voice from behind the rock says, if you do, I won't go get the umbrellas. <laughs> it wasn't working out for the turtles. And it wasn't working out for the returning exiles. They lost their focus on the main thing. They stopped working on the temple, and then they began to focus on their own stuff. You ever thought like that? Have you ever said to yourself, maybe now is not the time for me to jump into this mission of making followers. Maybe it's just not time for me to follow that prompting of God. Maybe someday when my life is in order, when everything works out, then I'll be ready. But maybe now is not the time. You know, I actually said that to Cheryl yesterday in a little different language. I said... I've got too much going on. Someone else should do it. <laughs> you ever said that? You know, you and I do need to be wise about our time, certainly. And wisdom is actually knowledge, um, you know, applied in God's way. So in other words, you know, are you making your priorities God's priorities? Or are you putting your priorities first? It's, it's really the right question. It really is. It's just one that most of us really don't want to answer. The returning exiles put their priorities first. So how does God respond to that? Well, God redirects the focus. God redirects the focus. 
As we read in Haggai, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty said. These people say, The time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. It is a time for is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? You know, maybe they have their priorities mixed up. The prophet continues, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Let's say that again. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. You expect much but see it turn into little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord, because of my house which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. <clears throat> Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and the grain and the new wine. Max Licato, he says, these are a few of the most remarkable verses that many people have never heard. He goes on, if you want to know how God responds to lethargy and misplaced priorities, you just read it. Now you know. How does God get your attention when you put your priorities first? Well, through Haggai, God reveals that your life is marked with futility. I wanted to take time to read this passage again today, even after Starla had read it earlier, because it has huge personal significance to me. This is exactly, it's exactly how God got my attention when I was placing my priorities over God's. You know, in a sermon years ago, been years now, Pastor Dan, Dan Johnson said these words. It's almost like straight out of this message of Haggai. He said, if you keep running up against a wall, maybe you're going in the wrong direction. Maybe you have misplaced priorities. You know, to me, those like hit me with like a ton of bricks. It was profound. And God used the time of struggling in my life to awaken a new God-given purpose. It was actually what led me in a call to pastoral, to be a pastor. So at the very least, at the very least, your struggles and difficulties are an invitation to examine your ways. You know, God will call us from the distractions that pull us from our purpose. God won't leave us there. For the Israelites, as a result of the testing, they got back on track and began to fulfill the purpose. Haggai writes, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people, I am with you, declares the Lord. Even in our struggles, God says, I am with you. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the whole spirit of the remnant of the people, and they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty. So God stirred their hearts to action. And as Jesus followers, God calls us as well. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the other things will be added to you as well. Seek first God's kingdom. Everything else will be added. In other words, prioritizes, prioritize what Jesus prioritizes and the things will work themselves out. You believe that? Christian author C.S. Lewis says, if you put first things first, we get second things thrown in. But if you put second things first, we lose both first things and second things. 
So my question today for us all is how is God, how is God's spirit moving on your heart? Is God speaking to you through a season of testing? And if so, are you listening? Are you attentive? Are you examining? Do you need to recommit to come back and literally to come back and make God's first things your first things? Max Cepedo says there are seasons of God-ordained struggle. Maybe you're in one. Times of exhausted emptiness when nothing seems to work. These seasons are God's way of getting us to examine our ways. To look in. Haggai is speaking to individuals. God is speaking to individuals. Today, on Super Bowl Sunday, God is saying, consider your ways. Just stop. Consider your ways. God is calling you to be his temple, to be the living message full of the Holy Spirit, of God's love and grace in the world, for this world right now. And you know, you're all here today. You're online joining us. God is speaking. God is calling us. What does God do when you neglect to make God's priorities your priorities? Well, one way or another, God redirects your focus. Back to Jesus. Think of it, maybe, as God offering you a breath mint. Take it. You might need it. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for that reminder of the call. And thank you, Lord, that, you know, we're all just a mixed blessing, a mixed bag in many ways. Lord, we are uh, faithful and many ways and Lord unfaithful in some and Lord you want us to live into that full and abundant life that you promise and that you give through a life in Christ Lord there are so many distractions that we face and it's not getting any easier and yet Lord you are faithful you continually remind us and call us and turn us to the priorities that really matter the ones you set from the beginning of time, the ones you created us for, to love you, God, and to love one another. Lord, help us to take some time this week, maybe today, to consider our ways. Just to ask, Lord, is this what you want of me? If it is, press it all the more not, if you sense that God is redirecting your focus, then I invite you to go deeper, ask him, and follow God's way. For the glory of Jesus and for your good, in Jesus' name, 